podcast of the Science Community Radio Talk Show. My name is Michael James Lauren, your host, and we have a great subject. It's called listening. Yes, we do a lot of preaching as Christians, but to listen is a whole art in itself, and it's also very biblical. And we're going to learn about the character of someone who listens well. We have a special author with us. His name is Adam McHugh, and the book is called The Listening Life, Embracing Attentiveness in a World of Distraction. And I almost feel like the guy can, can you hear me now, Adam? But welcome to the program. Yeah, that guy's up doing different uh, <laughs> cell service commercials now. He switched it? over to, uh, to Sprint. So, <laughs> well, this is an award-winning book, first of all. I should let our audience know from Christianity Today. And can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, the award was uh, Christianity Today's Best Book in Spiritual Formation for 2016, which I was very surprised by because I did not know my publisher had even submitted it for award. It won a couple of awards, actually. And I, um, I tell people that my first book, which is called Introverts in the Church, is always going to be my bestseller. I think my career pretty much peaked after my first book. But um, The Listening Life is my favorite of the two books. So I was very gratified to see the awards that it won. Yeah, and in both sections here, when you look at the introverts, also, you know, people who listen, you're touching on subjects that people are feeling like he's talking about me because I don't know too many people who address introverts in the church. Of course, uh, we reward the extroverts, but what about the introverts? So you, you met a need there and also the listening life. We really do try to hit people over the head with a Bible bullet, if you will, trying to answer everyone's problem. And, and you talk about that listening is just so much more. Uh, one of the big chapters you talk about is just being there and being present with someone who is hurting. And that's hard enough to do because, you know, we're always thinking about what we're going to say next or things like that. Can you address that part about just being there? Yeah. So uh, that's chapter seven that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is called listening to people in pain, which is my favorite, but also was the hardest chapter for me to write. I uh, I spent several years serving as a hospice chaplain, and uh, I had been a, basically a preacher before that, and I always viewed my role when I walked into any room before becoming a chaplain as, what insight can I bring into this room? What, what word can I preach? What, uh, you know, encouragement can I offer or biblical exhortation or or whatnot and then I got into hospice chaplaincy which I sort of stumbled into did not really plan on it I suspect that someone else had plans for me there and I um discovered that there was absolutely nothing I could say in that situation, that there's really no insight that you can offer that's going to take away people's pain or, you know, help them deal with with the issue of dying and grief and bereavement for the families and all of that. And so I, uh, I came in very apprehensive uh, and I left uh, hospice chaplaincy years later as, as someone that actually knew how to listen and how to be present to people who are in pain, which is one of the greatest challenges that we face um, in everyday life and in all of our relationships at one point. You know, it's really funny. You can you can go. Sure. You can go into a church. Right. And you expect, especially maybe someone who's new and everyone's talking as they should, friends and so forth. But to actually listen to the fact that, hey, there's someone else new here and let's listen to him or her. And uh, sometimes uh, listening is you mentioned that you wish that churches were more of a listening church than a preaching church. 
Yeah, I was thinking about how radical that would be, that sort of change, if people came to church not necessarily only to be preached to or to be taught, but actually to be heard. And what if churches were known as listening communities, and how much would that change about our ministries and also how people on the outside uh, perceived us? You mentioned something that a lot of people can relate to, that is for sure, and it is that when you went to seminary, and you used to read the Bible, and you used to really listen to God in a very intimate way and enjoy it, that you stop reading the Bible. And now so many people who go to seminary can tell that tale. Can you care to talk a little bit about that? And hopefully you're reading the Bible now. <laughs> I am definitely reading the Bible. I had to rediscover some uh, sort of older and ancient ways to read it. But yes, I, I, I went to seminary, and, and I felt like my my love of the scriptures is what carried me there. But then, you know, you spend, I spent four years in seminary getting a couple of degrees, and you spend four years dissecting every aspect of the grammar and the history and the literary genre and all of that in the scriptures, and eventually it sort of becomes this specimen, and you become removed from it, and it feels very objective, and you start losing what got you there in the first place, that love that you had in the first place, which is you experienced, you know, yourself being addressed directly in those scriptures, and you uh, talked with God and listened to God in the process of that. But, you know, you spend enough time in an academic circle studying the Bible and theology, and, and you start to lose some of that. And so that was definitely a struggle for mine for the first few years out of seminary, and I, I had to learn how to listen again to the Lord as I read the scriptures and to treat the scriptures as God's word to me, not only to other people. It's completely ironic, but you hear that all the time, that people who go to seminary, they'll even say they lost their faith or that you know they stopped listening to the Lord, and, and of course the only way through reading the word of God and letting God have his, uh, his way, his effect in your life, having the words move. Um, there are a lot of reasons why people don't listen. Doors close. You say that, number one, you can touch upon this. First, we're filled with noise. I think that is so true. I, th I think we live in a culture where there's probably more words and more noise than at any other point in human history. And I don't want to be the guy that just sort of attacks the all of our personal technology and all of our smartphones. But the reality is, and at least I experienced this in my own life, and I imagine that many others do as well. I'm just, I'm losing my ability to uh, pay attention to things, and I notice it particularly when I'm when I'm reading, when I'm trying to focus on uh, something that I'm reading, particularly <laughs> nonfiction, and I notice it in the conversations I have with people. And my brain just wants to keep multitasking; it wants to keep going back to my phone or to whatever else is in front of me or distracting me. And um, I, I've become quite frustrated with this. It used to be sort of amusing, but now it really bothers me when I can't sit down and read 10 pages of a theology book like I used to be able to. And so, um, you know, I think listening is all about paying attention. Mm. And if we're a culture that is lacking attentiveness, we're not going to be a culture that listens very well. You say something funny that, you know, the devices that we think that we're in control of, but actually they have control over us, like the smartphone or Facebook and all these other things. And that's kind of ironic. And you mentioned, though, that when you showed your cat on Skype to your family, that you never want to give up that kind of technology, because where else would you be able to show your cat 
to the right. rest of the world. <laughs> how, how else are my relatives in Seattle going to say hello to my cat? Exactly. You know? I mean, that's, that's vitally important. Stuff. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, and I don't want to, and you know, it, 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 technology has become a, a relatively easy target. And I don't want to sound like this old guy that, you know, is talking about all those millennials out there that are, you know, addicted to their phones because, you know, I like my phone as much as anybody else and I, all this technology. And I can't remember how we got any information before the Internet because I don't want to go to the library anymore, yeah. that's for sure. But um, the reality is, is that everything I'm reading is that neurologically speaking, all of our handheld technology is actually reprogramming, you know, the way that our brains work. Work. And that um, it's it's not just that it it seems like we have less attention than we used to. We literally have less attentiveness than we used to because the the, the brain waves, you know, our brain waves have actually changed and they're shorter now. And there's different paths that information is taking now. And so it's we're not just imagining it that we lack uh, we have shorter attention spans. It's it's literally true. Well, you also say that we're lonely. Another one, we're afraid to change, and that's one of the reasons that stop people from listening yeah and i think that last part is that you said the afraid to change i think if we're going to be genuine listeners if we are truly going to be open to what another person has to say or another source of information or feeling has to say to us we have to be willing to change our minds and if we are so entrenched in our beliefs and our thoughts and our doctrines then and if we're unwilling completely unwilling to actually hold a different opinion and potentially change our minds then we're not going to be people that listen very well and the other one you say we're fragmented that true listening requires attention an offering of ourselves for a period of time where you really have to be present with the other person. And I remember being hurt one time and I'm, I'm trying to concentrate and focus. I just want to get my mind off myself. And I was really listening to every single word. And this person looked at me differently as if, well, you really are caring what I have to say. Yeah. And I mean, think about how callous we are that we are almost, you mentioned, and I'll find it later in the book here, that uh, we're almost thinking about what we're going to say next, or we have, we're not really present with the person, and we can't hear them. And, and you mentioned we can't even hear God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, f I forget who it was who said it now, but someone who said um, that we listen to respond rather than listening to understand. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to understand, um, that changes the nature of the conversation. And you can see it in another person's eyes. And I've come to really relish those moments when someone realizes that you're actually listening to truly hear them and understand them and to empathize with them rather than to disagree with them or you're just waiting your turn to speak. And I talk about the value not only of the first question, everyone can ask the first question, but the second and the third question that, that relates organically to what has been said before. And by the time you get to that, that second and third question, all of a sudden someone realizes they're being heard and they start to open up in ways that they otherwise wouldn't. Well, the ultimate test, you're a married man, by the way? I'm not. Okay, well, I was going to say that... <laughs> <laughs> you took me by surprise there. I figured you were, but, uh, you know, I was going to ask if does your wife say that, you know, like a lot of men, you never listen. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say that, and this is a pet peeve of mine, that I believe that to be a stereotype. I really do. <laughs> I mean, I, I know there was, if you remember that book like 20 years ago or whatever called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It said that, um, that women are listeners, but men are fixers. That men are always trying, you know, to solve problems or fix things like a plumber coming in to work on your pipes. And I have to say that, I believe that to be a stereotype and that I don't think that gender is, is any guarantee of your ability to listen. I know plenty of men who are great listeners and I know plenty of women who are not great listeners and, of course, vice versa. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree that the sort of marriage and, and those closest relationships are the true gauge of whether you're a good listener and that the hardest people to listen to actually are those people that you think that you do know the most because you feel like you know what they're going to say when they say it. But I don't think that uh, that men necessarily are worse listeners than women are. So your true inspiration for writing this award-winning book from Christianity Today was really to woo women. That you got this, uh, yeah. <laughs> you I got the men are from Mars, the women are from Venus, or one or the other, and the, yeah. you said that it's once actually, you start. <laughs> I actually really don't like that book at all. I feel like it just deals with such gender stereotypes. But yeah, that was the first book that I read back in college that was about listening, and that was when I started to pay attention to my, whether or not I was a listener. Now, do you have your book in front of you right now? I don't. I've given them all away. You're very kind. (laughs) Well, I have in front of me, it's uh, actually on page 139. Now, some of the ways that we can be a good listener is from learning what a bad listener is. So one we have is the one up. And I think all this is really interesting because we come across that we probably have all done it where you think that's something. Uh, Let me tell you about what happened to me last week. I'm reading from the book. And here the listener sits quietly through the other person's story only to try to trump them with a better, more interesting story. It's a competition more than a conversation. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun section of my book. Yeah, you have... Uh, yeah, the, the one-up is sort of the easiest one to identify, where it feels like the, the point of a conversation is to see who has the most interesting story or the funniest story or sort of the, the one that's going to get other people's attention rather than actually paying attention to what someone else... You have a whole saying. bunch, like the, uh, the sleight of hand, the inspector... The reroute, the projector. The best one one in there, the one that I love, Mm -hmm. is that people always look at me funny when I say it, but then when they start to pay attention, really start to notice it. It's called the password, where someone will be telling a story, and then they'll say one word in the midst of the story. It may be a five-minute story that they're telling, but if they say the word like cheese or something in the story, then the other person will actually respond, hey, speaking of cheese, and then they'll start talking about cheese. And (laughs) it's like a password into another conversation. Wow. Every time I tell people about that, they think that's not true. And then they come back to me a couple days later, and they're like, oh, my God, that's so true. Like I hear one word, and I just want to start talking about that word. Well, you know, I have a pension for ADHD, and I think I have at least eight of the 15 that you <laughs> yeah, wrote down. Do. And it's, do. it's really humbling. I mean, but things get serious here when you talk about, you know, the character that God wants us to have in being a good listener, listening to people in pain. And you say few things shut down a person in pain faster than quoting the Bible at them. Yeah, I find that sadly to be true and I, I do that that sort of started for me when a, a colleague of mine when I was working in a church a few years ago 
who said, I have a friend in the hospital. I'm going to go and visit him right now. It's time for me to speak some truth. And hmm. I look back on that now and I think, nope, that is exactly what you should not do when you are when you are visiting a friend in the hospital. That is a time for you to sit with them and to practice the ministry of presence and listening, not time for you to preach a sermon or to say a really long-winded prayer that ends up being a sermon. That is a time for you to actually sit and let someone else control that conversation, not you. And from the beginning of time in creation that God is speaking and saying, you know, let there be light and there was light. But I mean, how much are we missing, do you think, with just creation itself and how God reveals himself where the wind blows and you hear different sounds of animals? I mean, are we just completely, you know, give me my Dunkin' Donuts and I got to get to work. And we we forget that there's a symphony going on here. And uh, do you listen like that? Uh, I mean, see, I, I was going to say the password that you just said was Dunkin' Donuts, which <laughs> yeah. gave me one to respond to Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, that yeah. Password right there. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, um, yeah I, I think we have this picture in the scriptures of, um, you know, of a, of a creation that speaks of God's glory, that reveals uh, him, that reveals, you know, the spirit to all of us and that um, I do believe and I have a chapter on this called listening to creation and I I talk about the discipline of the long the spiritual discipline of the long walk and that's something that I have developed and just learning and you're not necessarily listening for like some you know revelatory you know like lightning strike of God's speech to you but you are merely paying attention to all of the things that you're seeing and hearing and 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 feeling and um um, learning to let go, you know, of the anxieties that you're carrying with you, and of all of the distractions that you're carrying, and instead learning to sort of let creation speak to you and sing to you. And I do believe that God speaks to us in those ways, though it may be more subtle than we expect. But I do think that there is a sense of peace and, and, and calm that can come in allowing God to speak to us through the natural world. I think what's amazing is, of course, we know through the Word of God that God wants to speak to us, and how often we say, okay, where's ESPN, or where's, you know, the television thing? I And I'm guilty of it, too, and I had a dramatic conversion, you know, and I'm thinking how terrible that, you know, all the Lord wants to do is talk to us, and mm-hmm. how we don't listen. Yeah, and, and that's why I've had to... Um start to practice, you know, like listening prayer and, and, and um, different forms of listening rather than only interceding or, or offering a bunch of words to God. I've learned to to sit in silence every morning. That's a discipline that I practice for. I can do it for about 15 minutes now. When I first started, it was about 15 seconds. But um, I'm able to just sort of sit in quiet and um, be with the Lord and not necessarily expecting any groundbreaking revelation, but just learning how to quiet myself in his presence. And and that shapes, um, you know, how I go about the rest of my days and how I listen through the rest of my day. What are some of the comments that you get, Adam, as far as uh, in response to this book when it comes to people who have problems listening or, you know, they want to go deeper in, in, in the subject matter? What kind of comments have you received? Um, one of the, my favorite comments that I received was uh, a friend of mine um, or a friend of my parents, actually. She read my book and loved it. And then she got onto a cross-country flight. 
and she flew from Seattle to, I think, D.C., and she got put next to that one of those people that just talked the whole time <laughs> on the flight. And she texted me afterwards and said, I'm so angry at you because I read your book and this person was talking to me for six straight hours, but I felt like I had to listen to them, you know, no matter what they said. And, and I was like, yeah, that is not what I said <laughs> in my book. I was not saying that you have to just let there, sit there for six hours and let someone natter on about anything under the sun. In fact, we're not able to actually truly listen for that period of time. That, that most of us have an attention span of probably about a half hour it would be about as long as we could actually listen to someone. And that I compare listening uh, to listening, I, I listen to vinyl records nowadays, and um, I sit and listen to a record, and it requires your complete attention when you actually listen to about 20 minutes one side of an LP, and that is the sort of listening I'm actually suggesting, rather than having mus digital music on a loop that just goes for six straight hours or something like that. Um, you know, I'm saying no, listening is actually paying attention, and we need to know our limits for how long we can actually pay attention. So you're spending some money here on vinyl. <laughs> I, I love that's like the one thing I collect is vinyl. Wow, and I I have heard that music does sound better like that. And that's in now. It does. It, it does, and it's actually and 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 I got it because I bought a record player because it does list, It does sound better and warmer to me. But it taught me something. It became this metaphor for listening in general that it requires you to sit and actually pay attention to the music that is on rather than, you know, having Pandora on or something like that, um, you know, all day where it's just sort of background noise and um, that sitting and listening, at, you know, to a record or at a concert um, is, is the best analogy that I can now come up with for the sort of listening I want to practice in general. Would you say this book is for even counselors or do you find this in seminaries this book of yours and um or is it in the church as well and uh i'm you know i'm, I'm just wondering if they have workshops and work groups so we can all become better listeners yeah, it seems to be applying to really a number of different contexts. I know some some seminaries and, and, and Christian colleges are using it in classrooms, and I have many counselor friends and, and people that have emailed me that have found it very useful in their practice. And, and um, you know, I, I just wrote it for someone that was seeking to be a better listener, or even if they didn't necessarily know it, but um, I, I didn't write it for a particular, you know, niche audience uh, i really just wrote it for someone that wanted to grow and they're listening to the lord and to other people and but it, yeah it seems to be applying much more broadly than even i had hoped so it's it's actually very exciting i i feel like there is a there's a there's a need for it right now oh yeah people are, the people are feeling and um it's very exciting to see so when you approach the bible would you say Maybe the book of Psalms is that book. They're uh, really listening where David and you know, the other psalmists, they listen to God. Or there are some other sections that really kind of touch you when you think about what a good listener is. Yeah, I mean, the Psalms The Psalms have so often been called the prayer book of the Bible that it always seems like a really great place to start, not to mention, also like the prophet Isaiah is one that just has a special place in my heart. But um, it seems like people are able to experience the Psalms um, most directly as sort of God's word to us. 
Um, and uh, there's some, it just seems to personally address, the Psalms seem to personally address people in ways that, that other books um, might not. And so I do think the Psalms are a great place to start. But the, the idea is that um, the scriptures are not first a source of information or source of doctrine or theology, and they're not meant to be, you know, building your arsenal for arguing with other people, but those are stages, there's a stage of encounter, that this is a time for me to hear, for me and, or for us, for the community, for the church, to hear God's voice um, spoken to me, to us, um, and to encounter, you know, in a, in a personally relating way, the voice of the Lord. And that's what keeps it so alive, because it, it's so easy that if you if you read a story in the Gospels or something and you feel like you understand it, then, you know, you, you don't necessarily feel like you ever have to go back and read it again, because you feel like, well, I got, you know, I read the Jesus and the Samaritan woman, John 4, so I get that story, I understand it, and now I don't need to go back to it. But when you view it as a stage of encounter and with God is active and speaking to us individually, then you can go time and time again back to the same story and actually hear something difference spoken to us you know i think that we appreciate everything when things go well in life and we listen when we're happy but you mentioned that there are all kinds of seasons that take place in a christian's life and that we want to listen through those seasons too what god is doing what he's saying uh i think the more i have read your book the more i realize that it's really going through the emotions that we don't want to go through, not only in ourselves, but also with other people. And it's hard to kind of track with someone who has, let's just say, anxiety issues, because a lot of times we don't want to hear it, or depression issues, but to actually feel what they're feeling all the way through and go through the seasons, not only our own seasons, but with another person, is that, are we superficial sometimes because we don't want to do that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And that's probably the most important part of the book as a whole is I think the main thing that keeps us from listening is anxiety. Uh, anxiety may be the biggest enemy of really good listening. And I think when someone who comes to us, especially someone that we love, when they come to us and express negative emotion, it makes us feel very anxious. It makes us feel unsettled. And if someone that we love is unsettled, then that unsettles our lives too. And because of that, we want to, you know, dismiss it or we want to, we want to correct it or we want to tell them to feel differently or we want to show them how their circumstances are actually not what they think they are. And the reality is we're making that about ourselves, not about them. Um, and to truly sit with someone who is experiencing negative emotion or negative circumstances um, takes a lot of strength, it takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of empathy uh, to be able to actually allow them to feel what they're feeling and to even feel it with them. Um, but the reality is, is that um, not very few things make us feel as alone as when we come to someone that we that we love and we share something, you know, honest and vulnerable and that potentially uh, difficult. And the other person kind of tells us not to feel that way. That actually is very isolating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but to have someone empathize and be with us in that without trying to fix us can actually have. 
um, can create a lot of intimacy and can actually, ironically, make us feel much better than if someone told us not to feel the way that they did. Yeah, validating our feelings. And again, you know, we're so used to feeling good or uh, the focus is you shouldn't feel bad and and yeah. so much we miss. And uh, something here also you mentioned, and it's also, by the way, a good sales tactic. I thought I'd mention this, that when you say to direct the person, well, I'll just read this here right here. So let's just say someone says, I'm upset that you won't even take the garbage out when I cook dinner and clean up the kitchen afterward. I don't feel like you value the contributions that I make. And the listener says, what I'm hearing you say is that you don't feel valued for what you do around the house and you feel that way when I won't take out the garbage. Is that what you're saying? And it seems like we have to go back to the beginning here of how to communicate. I know that in you know, your line of work as uh, your chaplain, and what else you do? Uh, spiritual director and, and writer is really my true passion. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be able to get people, even in marriage counseling, to learn how to listen and communicate back what the person said, how often we actually don't know how to do that. So um, I know good salespeople say that, where they say, what I'm hearing you say is, and you repeat back what they said, are you surprised that we don't really take advantage of that communication skill? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I talk about, I think in so many marriage counseling settings, it feels like it's sort of, communication 101 is what so many people learn in those in those contexts and um you know again not trying to fix the other person but to actually hear what is being said to empathize and to listen to the feelings that are underneath the words and all of that i mean it's sort of a wooden um boring example but um I do feel like so many of us don't have sort of the base. We haven't been given or we haven't observed the even the most basic forms of communication and people don't know how to deal with respond to emotion. And so that's why I think our our counseling industry is as successful as it is in this country, because people are not being heard in their most uh, core relationships. And we don't necessarily have the basic skills for knowing how to listen, validate feelings and empathize with another. Person. Yeah, for 45 minutes, I'll listen to you, you know. I mean, that's yeah, people yeah. get paid a lot of money for that. But yeah, um, yeah. so, I mean, where do we go from here? I want to ask you as far as what you've learned the most in the research for this book and tell us about what some of the research was and what you learned most about God and yourself when it comes to listening. Well, it took me about six years to write the book, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, it took way too long. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, actually, in the end, I, I feel good about it because I, I do feel like a lot of sort of deep stuff comes out in the book. Um, you know, one of the really revelatory things for me was to realize what a listener God is and that that is the foundation of us learning how to listen is that the Lord actually listens to us. Um, and it's, you know, it's one thing to talk about the Lord answers prayers, but it's another thing to think really deeply and seriously about the fact that God is a, a listener and that uh, when we talk about Jesus as servant, you know, what is a servant if not an obedient listener? And he sort of turn, flips so many things on its head, you know. I mean, when you talk about the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, you know, we have the king himself actually 
listening to other people, serving other people. Um, and those who are in power seem to be, you know, in Jesus's day, strangely deaf and probably in our day too, strangely deaf to um, other people. And uh, it seems like sort of the more power you get, the less you are able to listen. And so the upside down kingdom and Jesus as, as servant really seems to actually center around listening. And that was a big thing for me. And that's what keeps me going because truly listening is really hard. And it requires uh, surrendering of the ego time and time and time again, surrendering of control time and time and time again. But when you look at the example of Jesus as um, sort of the quintessential leader or a listener, leader and listener, and uh, the model of listening for us, then growing as a, as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus means growing as a listener. All right. And one last question, Adam. So in a perfect listening world... What does that look like? I mean, can you paint a picture for us of what you can picture everyone who's a good listener? How would we be? It doesn't mean there wouldn't be a world of disagreement. It doesn't mean there wouldn't be a world still of conflict. But it does mean that in situations of disagreement and conflict, um, people would be able to actually hear the negative emotions of other people and even if they still left disagreeing in that situation that people would leave feeling heard and like the other person really sought to understand what was being said uh, and i also think it would be a world that would be far less lonely than it is i agree that's well said and just so our audience knows i mean this is an award-winning book i don't know how it's 2017 awards i thought it'd be 2016 but it's the <laughs> it's a christianity today 2017 best book it, for it's spiritual so, it's so good that they've already made the decision for the whole year yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why it's 2017 but i mean think about that they're you know you're being very humble actually because that's a big deal and they're talking about like for a lot of books in spiritual formation category it got an award from christianity to, uh, right christianity today so uh again the book is called the listening life embracing attentiveness in a world of distraction the author is adam McHugh, and uh, adam is an ordained presbyterian minister and spiritual director and he has served as two presbyterian churches and also as a hospice chaplain and as a campus staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Thanks so much for sharing all this and writing the book, and uh, we appreciate you being on the program. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. This is fun.